Welcome to Cultural Conversations. Glad you could be here. I'm Christian Folau. And I'm Haley Jameson. Today, we're going to be talking about doing graduate school abroad and how you guys can succeed in studying abroad. The adventure of studying abroad, learning a new language, and expanding your horizons are endless. Your peers are recognizing this. Just in the last 10 years, the number of U.S. students studying abroad has increased by 15%. We've got four amazing guests lined up today to help guide you on your journey. Daniel Garcia Rodriguez hello, uh, hello, good afternoon. is the co-founder of Creatize, a Berlin-based firm revolutionizing supply chains through digital procurement. Daniel comes from Monterey, Mexico, and studied electrical engineering and computer science at Jacobs University in Bremen, Germany. He went on to earn a master's in corporate management and economics at Zeppelin University in Friedrichshafen, also in Germany. Dr. Laura Catherine Smith. I hope you're doing well. It's good to see you. Is a professor of German linguistics from Canada. She studied Germanic and theoretical linguistics at the University of Munich and earned her PhD at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in Germanic languages, literatures, and linguistics and theoretical linguistics. Professor Simon Greathead, let's go to England and eat some shepherd's pie, is a native Englander and associate professor of supply chain management. He earned his bachelor's in business management at Brigham Young University. While his MBA at the University of Reading wasn't exactly foreign for him, his career has made him an expert at understanding cultural nuances. And lastly, Professor Christine Hale Great talking to you. is an adjunct art history instructor at Brigham Young University. She earned her undergraduate degree through BYU and then went on to do a graduate degree also through BYU with a portion of her degree earned through the University of Heidelberg in Germany with the main focus on German printmaking during the Renaissance. She has also done translation work with the Brigham Young University Special Collections Archive, translating letters from the French Revolution and documents from Northern Italy during the 12th century. Today's episode is the first installment of our upcoming series on doing grad school abroad. In this episode, we'll cover finding motivation to go abroad, researching and identifying the right program for you, and the logistics of an international move. Going abroad is not an easy decision. It means greater physical distance from friends and family, leaving behind familiarity, and often feeling that we've gotten ourselves in over our heads. If we're going to succeed abroad, and I fully intend to, we need a strong motivation for going international. Let's hear from Daniel on how he chose to study in Germany. I think it started with trying to fit my interests and really going to the source. So I was really focused at the time in high school. I had a really strong computer science background and I was fully in love with engineering, with electrical engineering, mechanical engineering uh, as such. So when I look at the different options, it was Basically, like German engineering was at the top of my head. Right? So there were like three places that came into place for me. Like Mexico is more of a manufacturing country. So it's good for when the, the products and the design is already finished. But what we see, we have mostly the factories, right? 
all of the plant engineering and so on, industrial engineering is very, very, very strong in Mexico for product design. There were three places that came to mind. One was the US, uh, of course, uh, Japan and Germany. And in the end, I, I ended up a little bit in the middle, so to say. The US was a bit too close to home. Uh, Japan was too far. Uh, Germany had like the, the right mix of uh, engineering. The programs were, uh, were really good. Everything was very close to the industry. And uh, also considering then my, my, my role going abroad, right? So I said, okay, in the, in the U.S., uh, still you don't get the full experience of going abroad, given that uh, there is a very large community uh, of Mexicans and, and, and Hispanic people. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, it was mainly driven by, by, by the, inter- the interest of engineering and trying to find what are the places where I can experience this the closest. And uh, after evaluating a couple of places, uh, Germany was the, uh, was the place to go. Daniel's experience was demonstrative of purpose-driven decision-making. He clearly understood that he wanted to study engineering and found places that aligned with that goal. I love, too, that he considered the U.S., but also considered that he'd still be surrounded by close ties to the culture he grew up in. So he deliberately chose Germany for being different enough from his home culture to be more challenging but not to be physically as far away as Japan. I know my dream is to return to Germany to do my MBA, and I know I'd be successful in doing that. But since this interview with Daniel, I've begun considering that I should be open for places where there are also world-renowned MBA programs, rather than just my dream destination. It's also important to consider how far we want to depart from our native culture. For example, studying in Canada would be less challenging for me culturally than, say, Russia, So listeners, while we're deciding whether to go abroad, we need to identify opportunities that align with our goals as Daniel did, and also make a conscious decision about how far we want to push ourselves culturally. And let's not forget that the people in our networks, they can help us identify opportunities. Dr. Smith learned very quickly from an advisor that she could go abroad. In Calgary, my advisor at the time, who was my advisor through my my master's, Robert Marie, he says to me, so here's, here's what, what's going to happen for you. Keep in mind, again, my first week. So when you're done here, then you're going to go over to Munich and study with my Dr. Vater. Quick note, Dr. Vater translates from German directly to Dr. Father or PhD advisor. If your PhD advisor identifies as a woman, then she's called a Dr. Mutter or Dr. Mother. Then from there, you're going to go and, uh, and do your PhD with Joe Salmons. And Joe Salmons at the time was at Purdue, but he was in the process of, of moving to Wisconsin. It is crazy because all of these things as a Canadian involved being an international student and having other people have control over my funding situation to make mm-hmm. it and over government visa requirements, allowing this to happen as well. But it played out. Maybe it was a little soft to say that she learned she could go abroad. Her advisor almost kind of ordered her to. But what I love here is that she first met with her advisor. As students or young professionals, we're surrounded by people with more knowledge and experience than us. Connecting with them and learning about opportunities through them can help us discover a motivation to do things that weren't on our radar, like studying abroad. We might find we've had an inner motivation all along. All right, so we've covered motivation to study abroad, but how do we find the right program to align with our career goals? A lot of us listening are business students or professionals and would like to break into a business career. 
Professor Greathead shares with us the key differences in different types of MBA programs, as well as his process for comparing programs that he considered. The key piece of, of the decision is, do I do a full-time master's program? Do I do an online master's program? Or do I do some type of hybrid, right? Like an executive master's program. And um, each have their sort of upsides and downsides, I would say. But here, here are a couple of things to consider. Uh, the first is a full-time MBA really does allow you to focus on on the material, right? Take take your time, really. So if you're coming like, if you're a geography student looking to do an MBA, I probably would go the full-time route, just so you can really immerse yourself in material that may be very foreign to you, language-wise and, and, and otherwise. The, the other thing is, if you're trying to create a network, Right, I was already in a full-time job as European uh, operations director for Maluka, so I didn't really need a network. But if you're new to business or you're young in business, then a full-time MBA creates that network. So those are really two reasons why I would encourage people to pursue a full-time MBA. Now let's look at the executive MBA that I did, which is primarily for people that are working full-time that may be a little later in their career. I mean, I was only two years into my career, but I was at a spot where I didn't want to give up my full-time income because it was good income, and I didn't want to give up um, the opportunity that I was with uh, in the company, right, working in the UK. That They brought me over. They, they, they took care of me while I was there. So I was working and in a really good spot. So I really didn't want to leave employment at that time and, and give up my paycheck. So for me, the executive uh, route was great, which was every other weekend uh, and fun for me, right? Fun to travel down from Manchester down to London and, um, and interact with folks down there. Uh, and then the online option. And, and I would be somewhat cautious with the online option, but it is right for some people. So for instance, if I'm looking at an online option, it really has to have a name with it, right? Arizona State University or Penn State, or um, I'm not too sure if Harvard's there yet, but there are sort of online Oxford and Cambridge certifications and things that people can do, but I would be cautious with online. And I would argue online really only makes sense for people that are very much in their groove. They, they're, geographically, they are where they want to be. And they don't want to move geographically because of a, a strategic reason. I'm, I'm getting paid well to be physically here in this location. Other than that, I, I, would, I would encourage people to pick up and go where, go where the degree is. Um, so I put together a spreadsheet and thought to myself, what, what are the key drivers behind why I would pick the program that I would pick? And as I sort of thought through questions like pricing and um, the way the way it's administered, right? Online versus blended versus versus in person um, uh, rankings, right? Things like that. I, I really came down to um, two things. I wanted a program that was was relatively highly ranked, right? Within the top, I'd say top five schools in the UK. Um, price point was an issue, but not a major issue because Mel Luca did a wonderful job at subsidizing most of my. MBA. So that, that's another reason why I chose the executive MBA and not the full-time MBA, because I could still work full-time and they would pay for it. And so I took those three things really into consideration, price, uh, flexibility, and then rankings. 
and I put together a list. I, I had lots of great schools in there, right? Manchester University, London School of Economics, uh, Oxford was in there. Uh, but overall, looking at all three combined, uh, Henley Business School at the time, which did come in in a, in a top five as a top five school, was was the right fit to me. That really cleared up a lot for me because I honestly did not know the differences between these different types of MBA programs. And I liked how simple it was for him to make a spreadsheet and gather data. With a quick Google search for our desired course of study, we can get started looking for the right master's opportunity right away. But even still, there's more to consider than just rankings or the price of a master's degree. There's also the important factor of how it will shape our personal development. How will our character grow? In this next bit, Dr. Smith talks about being prayerful in examining opportunities. Whatever our personal beliefs, it's always helpful to take a step back to really think over the possibilities we have, discuss them with trusted individuals, and really weigh out what's in front of us. Let's go to Dr. Smith. I think the biggest advice that I have is, um, first of all, be really, be prayerful to know which opportunities are the right ones. And it might surprise you. It might end up being something different than what you had been planning on. But if you follow that, good things are going to come and they'll be the right experiences that you need. The fact that these experiences for better or for worse, hopefully they'll be for better for everybody. Um, they're with us and they're part of not just our CVs, but our life story and they shape how things play out. So be prayerful about making sure that you're, that you're taking the right one that's meant for you that can shape things. And for some of the listeners, maybe it doesn't really matter and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. But if it does, what's amazing is as they go forward and then if things seem like, how can this come to pass? How can this work out? If they're prayerful about it from the beginning, that's when the doors can open to make sure that it does play out so that they can move forward with some sort of faith knowing that it, it really will. I know that sounds so trite and it seems so like Pollyannish and because sometimes things in life don't work. <laughs> I have lived through that side of it too, but but I think what's really incredible is their experiences out there for us, but they can only happen, not just if we have faith, but if we are open to those experiences, if we're open to allow those experiences to change us. Dr. Smith really reminded me that studying abroad isn't just an adventure or a career boost. It's also a decision that will impact my character and who I will eventually become as a person. So I really want to take time to contemplate how different paths will affect my career, my personal life, and family, and my values. Now, what about the logistics of a move abroad? One great opportunity if you can't yet do an entire degree abroad is to do just a semester or a term. Professor Hale did just that. Let's hear from her. When I went, I didn't have to get a visa because I was there under six months. I don't know what the process is now, but... I was newly married, so my husband came with me, and the only reason we could afford it is because I applied for a federal grant called the FLAS grant, which is Foreign Language Acquirement Scholarship. So I applied for the FLAS grant, which was a pretty arduous task. 
they don't make it easy for you to apply for a FLAS grant. But I was awarded just grant money to be able to go and it covered my cost to live abroad. So when I worked at, in my internship, I wasn't paid, but I was working 40 hour weeks. We actually just rented an Airbnb in Nuremberg, my husband and I, but we had enough in our budget to do that. Um, surprisingly, once you get over to Europe, well, most places in Europe, it's really affordable. And then when I was at the University of Heidelberg, they actually uh, gave me student housing. And what student housing was is that students who were in their undergrad at the University of Heidelberg had apartments that might have like a, a spare room that they could sublet. And so we ended up just subletting a room from this really nice couple, this student at the University of Heidelberg. We just stayed in their apartment and subletted their room for that summer, and it was great. With her shorter stay, Professor Hale didn't need a visa. That certainly makes things easier on a student doing an exchange. I really liked how she and her husband sublet a room from other students. What a great opportunity to connect with others and become further immersed in the culture. Now, if you do get to experience the joys of the immigration process, it's very important to be proactive in getting your paperwork done. Let's hear from Daniel about his process moving from Mexico to Germany. I mean, I think this um, that's a great question. And that's, uh, you mentioned also regarding what, 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 what do I have to do? Or like, what did I have to do in order to move uh, in there? So I said, okay, look, um, at the time, I think uh, there were, with the airlines, uh, I could take two 32-kilo uh, sets uh, suitcases so that was basically everything that i could fit uh that's okay this is what i i could uh, maximum take um before that i had to sort out the whole immigration process which was uh it was really easy going because the university supports you um and they, they give you the full guidelines but at the same time like it's extremely bureaucratic and you do not know where you stand right like i mean you know how uh, embassies and consulates are, are working. You have to go to the uh, to the consulate. In my case, my city did not have one, so I had to travel to Mexico City, apply for the visa. Then you're wishing that the papers come back before you already have to move over there and so on. So basically, you, uh, I went in and I, 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 I put all of the paperwork, assuming that everything was going to work out. At the time, went into the... Um, the uh, travel agency to try to arrange uh, plane tickets over to, to Germany. Uh, funnily enough, going, flying to Germany was very expensive, especially because it was a small city in Germany, Bremen. So just with what I had watched on TV and so on, I said, okay, look, um, Euro trip, I'll fly to France and then I'll take a train over there. Big mistake. Uh, <laughs> it was like, basically, I, I tried to put like everything together and you have like, uh, I mean, the, the, the universities, and that was also what I saw um, with, with, with Zeppelin University. They, they give you guidelines and they give you like a checklist. Just say, okay, look, you have to go to immigration. You have to do this. You have to do this stuff. Uh, you have to find an apartment. Here is, the, uh, here is the apartment list with the students. You have to, like, once you're in Germany, you have to register with the authorities within two weeks. Uh, you have to transfer the deposit for whatever amount by this date, otherwise your place is not secure. Uh, you have to inform this and this and this. So they give you a checklist, which it makes it uh, rather easy. But uh, you're just taking a leap of faith that everything is going to work out. First thing I did was basically buy my plane ticket within a budget. 
so to say. So it was arriving to Paris in July, somewhere in July. And then I, I, I said, okay, once I arrive to Paris, I'll try to find my way to Germany uh, with high school French that didn't take me far. Uh, and uh, if, if, if I boil it down to it, it was once they decided to go, it was really say, okay, um, are you sure you want to go taking the decision and saying, okay, now everything has to fall into place, right? You, you have to wish the guys in the, in, the, in the embassy tells you, you have to show up between 9 and 11 a.m. Monday or Wednesday because you know how are their opening times. Uh, they tell you it's going to be four to six weeks and maybe you, you're, you're asking if there's anything to make it faster and so on, but then everything just falls into place. It's, you take then the decision and say, yes, I want to go abroad. Uh, considering everything, yes, I want to do it. I love that bit about being in France and kind of assuming it's going to be okay with this high school French and realizing very quickly it's overwhelmed. I know I've tried to take roundabout ways to save money on international flights. I did end up in Boston overnight in the airport, but I never ran into a language barrier. Take it from Daniel and from me, make sure you plan carefully for actually physically getting yourself to another country. <laughs> Wow, I really loved this episode. I feel like I learned a lot from Daniel's comments about trying to align your goals with your career, also with your desire to go abroad internationally. I really appreciated how Professor Gray had showed us the logical side of considering different opportunities to go abroad and how Dr. Smith then shared with us, you know, the importance of really considering how this will impact us in the long term. Also, I feel like Professor Greathead just went through that in the most comprehensive way I've ever heard anyone detail, like how to choose a master's program. Yeah, that was I, so helpful. I, I really felt like, hey, I could go do this right now. I know. I was like, oh, maybe I'll just start looking at master's programs as I listen mm -hmm. to this episode. I thought it was really cool how Professor Hale was willing to sublease a room from a couple in Germany, how they were able then to better connect with the culture that way. Yeah, and Daniel had some great insights, too, about his whole process moving abroad. I mean, it is not easy, but it's definitely possible. All right, listeners, that's all we've got for you on today's episode. Be sure to stay tuned for our next installment of this grad school miniseries, as well as our next interview with Oscar Cardone. Go on and get out there. You might just find yourself while you're at it. 